Welcome to Empire Builders, the podcast that talks about building big businesses and even bigger lives. My name is Via Williams and I am an empire builder. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Wendy Papazan and I'm an empire builder. I'm Seychelle Van Poole and I'm an empire builder. Hi, I'm Sarah Reynolds and I am an empire builder. All right, Sarah, I'm so excited about today's episode. Tell us what it's going to be. So today, as we dive into big businesses and big lives, we're going to focus on two of our empire builders that are right here on our podcast today. Uh, So I know Wendy has a lot of amazing questions to start us off with learning more about Seychelles and her amazing both business and her big life. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Well, welcome, listeners and viewers. We are going to do a deep dive today with pretty much one of my favorite human beings on the planet. Uh, her name is Seychelle Van Poole. And I think we've known each other probably about 10 years, right? Yeah, we've been known each other about 10 years. Yeah, since I started my business. And you were, you were not too long into the business. No, yeah, I was about four years in at that point. So still pretty new myself. And um, what's really neat is I had, I had heard about you long before I met you. And so it was really exciting, actually, um, when we first got to know each other, because immediately I knew that there was something special. Yeah that you are building. Yeah, well, I feel lucky to know you, so I'm glad we're gonna be chatting today. You do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so we're really gonna talk about kind of your origin story. Sure. Right, how you got started in business and how you sort of got dragged kicking and screaming into your family real estate empire. I think that's a completely yeah. fair assessment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so yeah, tell no, us. You're, you're totally right because I swore up and down I would never get into real estate. Okay. And uh, here we are in real estate. Yeah. Go figure. So what happened? So um, when I was a senior in high school, my parents had owned their own company for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad- Not was, real estate though. Not real estate. Okay. He actually was a um, women's accessories sales rep. Mm-hmm. And my parents have are awesome and had owned their own company since I was born. So my husband and I teased that I was born in a business. Mm-hmm. more than I was born into a family because mm-hmm. our dinner conversations were about economics and sales and upcoming markets and designs. And I mean, it was it was not about like, you know, what did, what did you do with Valentine's Day? So it was, well, that gives me it was very much. I have two children. Yes. And that's pretty much... Yeah, life. and you seem perfectly I mean, well adjusted. I mean, well, slightly tweaked. Yeah, but I mean, mostly. <laughs> totally good. Yeah. So mostly. You, so you grew, up, you grew yeah. up in a business environment. I Your did. Parents are serial um, entrepreneurs. They are. They're serial entrepreneurs. They always had businesses going, and so I really didn't stand a chance, right, mm-hmm. of, of not being an entrepreneur myself. But you know, like as a kid, I took my first steps at the um, apparel mart at the you know, in downtown Dallas. Mm-hmm. At the Apparel Mart, is yeah, that what you said? at the Apparel Mart. Okay. That's where I took my first steps, literally. Okay. So, I mean, wow. you know, from day one, like we were in business together mm-hmm. and um, I, I worked for my dad's company in high school. Mm-hmm. I would go do the merchandising and their sales analysis for Dillard's and Foley's and JCPenney's. And- so then naturally... You said, as soon as I graduate, I'm going to work in the family business. Yeah, I just, I absolutely want to do this, right? <laughs> so I, I, you know, of course, I think, especially when you're a teenager, you want to rebel, right? You want to create your own identity. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I was a senior in high school, my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And, you know, healthcare at that point uh, did not allow for really gentle pre-existing conditions. Mm. And so my mom was really smart and went to go work in a large corporation Hmm. for the health insurance because Parkinson's at that point, right? I mean, we didn't know what it was going to be. There was no Michael J. Fox Foundation. There was no really good information out there about what Parkinson's was. 
And so this is when you were in high school or yeah. senior in college? I was a senior in high school. I was okay. uh, in my spring year. Okay. And so and what is that? Freaked out. Yeah. And so, and, 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 and what was going through your head? Oh, um, I think I got really depressed, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, you know, I think our whole family did. And, yeah. um, you know, it was interesting. My dad told me later that his doctor told him either you have a brain aneurysm or Parkinson's. Mm. We don't know which one it is. Wow. And so actually he was thrilled that it was Parkinson's. Yeah. Because he was like, well... Yeah, perspective. Right? I'm not yeah. going to have like a giant event that's going to just like explode. Like it's going to be a much more gradual well, process. Yeah, but... tell, our, tell our listeners a little bit about what that really looks like. Because to be honest, I know it's a, a degenerative disease yeah. that happens over time. It is. But um, what does that really look like? Yeah, I mean, you know, so what's interesting with Parkinson's is a, a lot of patients have their mental faculties, but their um, ability to produce dopamine, which is what controls your motor skills, mm like goes away at a rapid pace. Mm. And so you think about like you're moving your hand, using a fork, writing something, eating a taco, one of my favorite things, right? You can't really do it because you have a tremor. Mm. Um, It also can cause your body to freeze up. You'll see a lot of people with Parkinson's that um, have like a frozen kind of look on their face or maybe like a frozen like posture or body, like movement. And it it just, it really creates a lot of um, nervous skill and motor skill challenges. And so, um, you know, when when you're used to being on entrepreneur and you're writing, you know, vendor orders still, right? You can't write them. Like you're, you, you, your job is to go travel the world and it becomes more exhausting to travel or you have a tremor 24 hours a day. So your whole family's whole, world changed. Everything changed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, I had a younger sister that was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. So for her, you know, I mean, I really think about her, that was a, a crazy time. And so all that to say, and going to college, my parents freaked out, rightfully so. I mean, I, I put myself in their shoes. I would be freaking out. And uh, they said, you know, I really, I want you to stay local. Mm-hmm. You need to stay local till you're a junior. Um, and you're going to live at home and commute to college. Mm-hmm. And I was thankful that they, they gave me zero debt coming out of college, which I'm incredibly thankful for. Um, but they always said, you're going to stay local your first two years and okay. get basically so, the fail-out classes and done. And that wasn't your game plan? No, that wasn't my plan. Okay. No. And, and how did that affect you? Well, I think I was, I think I was at peace with it to a degree of like, oh, I need to do what I can do to help my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was absolutely at peace with that. And I also was 17 and right. wanted to create my own identity and get out of the house sure. as a teenager. And so um, every morning I woke up, I drove from Plano, 40 miles north to Denton. And then I drove back down to downtown mm-hmm. Dallas, which is another 60 miles south every night to work. And then I would drive home every yeah. day. So I had about a two and a half hour commute every single day. Mm. And uh, I did my first semester. I took 18 hours my first semester and I decided this is terrible. Yeah. I had no college life, right? I was wor- I was either working or school or sleeping. That was right. basically it. And so I created a little binder and figured out how many hours I needed to become a junior. Because they told me I had to be a junior. They didn't say your first two years. Okay. So I set out to become your a junior. Your parents you're talking about. My parents, yeah. yeah. So I became a junior in a year. Okay. Wow. There wow. you go. And they said uh, they said it was going to take you know sixty hours to become a junior, and so okay. I became a junior in sixty okay. hours. So then what? You got you got. And I transferred you to UT. I did, <laughs> and I escaped, and I swore I would never come back. Um, and here I am. Uh, but you know, so then, then I moved to New York. I did. Yeah, I worked. I worked in advertising agencies all through college, and then I moved to New York and worked um, for DDB Worldwide up there, which is an awesome agency um, that's part of the Omnicom brands. Was that kind of your dream to yeah. be in New York? It was. I cold, my senior year, I cold called all the CEOs. Because I figured everyone was calling the HR directors. Uh, so why call the yeah. HR directors? Everyone's calling them. Yeah. So any seniors listening out there, yeah. call the CEO. Um, yeah, I did. I called the CEOs because I thought, well, 
they're going to be the ones to tell the HR director who to hire anyways, right? Mm -hmm. If they make a recommendation, someone's going to listen. Naturally. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've always thought outside of the box, right? You tell me it's going to take 60 hours, but not two years, and then it's going to be 60 hours. I will, I will, I'm going to hit the goal. Right. Right, but don't tell me how to get there. Right. I think that's always been a trend. Right. Um, and so same Sounds with like New York. A lot of entrepreneurs, actually. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And so I, I didn't want to get into real estate. My mom went to corporate America and then in 2001 got into real estate. She actually got her real estate license on September 11th. And your dad's still at his business, right? Uh, it was starting to decline. Okay. I mean, I think if you look around at the retail landscape now versus 20 years right. ago, I think we all could say that it's a very different landscape right. for retail mm -hmm. than it was then. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Amazon didn't exist. eBay was barely anything. You know, it was just a very different landscape. Um, and so I moved to New York. I worked in advertising. I loved it. I loved um, the yep. energy. I loved the client management. I loved the negotiation. I loved um, the work. I loved the production. I loved, I, I loved it all. Truly. And then your mom started her real estate business. And, and then, she started her real estate business and then the year happened. before that. And um, my dad would travel up for market four times a year. Mm -hmm. I think to any, New York. To New York. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think anytime you see somebody that has um, a degenerative disease, when you see it every day, you don't notice the little bitty things. Mm -hmm. But then when you see it once every three months, mm -hmm. you notice the progression that much faster. Mm -hmm. And so I started asking myself the question of if, if something happens to him and with Parkinson's, it's a degenerative disease. There is no cure. Right. If something happens to him, then who's going to take care of him? Mm -hmm. And I realized very quickly, I have a little sister that's a freshman in college. That's not realistic. Um, my mom is going to want to take care of him. But then they're in their, their early 50s, yeah. right? They're in their early 50s. Yeah. They have their whole life ahead of them. Yeah. I mean, 50 is so young. And so... You know, I think about that and I thought, well, if she's taking care of him, who takes care of them? Mm -hmm. And I very quickly realized that my starting salary in advertising was not going to cut it. Right. And I looked ahead 20 years my senior and I thought, if I stay in corporate advertising 20 years from now, I'm going to be lucky to make enough to support my family commuting an hour on the train every day mm -hmm. and never seeing my family working 70 hours a week because that's what all of my bosses were doing. Right. And I looked at that and said, you know, do I really want to work to live? Or do I want to live to work? I love that. So do I want to work to live or do I want to yeah. live to work? Yeah. I love that. And that's, that's and really... what did you choose? <laughs> yeah. I chose to work to live. Yeah. And that was a defining moment for me. And I, I knew that I had a bigger purpose, which was, this isn't for me. I have to build security for my family. Yeah. And in my head, I was 20, so here you I was are 21, early 22. 20s. Yeah, yeah, early 20s. 21, 22. Well, and I, in a way, what a gift, you know, figuring out your mission. Yeah, it was then, great clarity. Well, that's yeah. really great mature for 21. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a lot of us didn't start our businesses until our 30s and 40s. So. That's right. Yeah. That's right, yeah. It, a Parkinson's has given us a lot of gifts. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the biggest lessons I've learned from my dad is that you can't always control what happens to you, mm -hmm. but you absolutely can control the attitude you keep right. and the actions that you take. Right. And if he... It's okay. ...can have a great attitude, then why can't I? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, well, thank you. So for, that's what we did. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, you know, we don't always get to choose. Um, we don't always get, right. get to choose. And yet, what I love about your story is, is that you took that. That was, right. you didn't choose it. You didn't choose to to really take over your mom's real estate business, no. which is essentially what happened. 
um, and you 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 moved forward to, to to really build your perfect life. We did. So yeah. So I'd love to talk about that. So I know your mom started the business. Yeah. And she did that for how many years? She was in business you? for three years before I got there. Mm-hmm. And I know um, Sarah in an earlier episode stated she joined her mom's business when they had 30 sales. We were at 36 sales. So right about the same okay. amount of time. I'm pretty sure we were our mom's best hires. We really were yeah. very smart. Yeah. <laughs> my, my mom was like, you just need to birth your replacement. Yeah. It's super simple. <laughs> you've got three students. Yeah, three in the run, yeah you've so got three we'll in the running. I'm, I'm hoping mine is one. So, you know, I, I, I got my real estate license. I quit my job in New York. I moved to Texas. I didn't ever look back and got my real estate. I literally did my classes while still living in New York, moved back to Texas and into Dallas. And I became a buyer's agent. My first real estate event I went to was a happy hour, and I was 21 trying to look like I was, you know, oh, yeah. 30, right? <laughs> I, was, I was trying to look like I was 30, so I had on this, like, turtleneck, you know, that was, like, very conservative and these fake Which, glasses. And Michelle, she is a very petite person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, just kind of a tiny person overall and, and looks actually very young for your age. Now, you, you've probably caught up, but I definitely... My, my lack of sleep definitely helps me catch up. <laughs> You, you do look young. I can imagine at 21, you look like you're 16. Yeah. yeah. I, I oftentimes, they were like, are you old enough to have your real estate license? Yeah. You know, and I would just have to I say, well, that. I feel like I was born in real estate, you know, because that was the only thing I could say. I love that. And I went to my first happy hour there. It was a networking happy hour. And honestly, at 21, I was just looking for someone safe to talk to. Mm-hmm. And I met this guy named Jeff, who was 73 years old. Mm-hmm. And he was in, if you can imagine living in Texas, right? You have the starch wrangler. He had starch wrangler jeans. Uh, yes. And the cowboy boots and but the wrangler. Or belt buckle. I mean, the crease that is so sharp down the front that you see, and the white. I think guys in Seattle do that. Yeah, this is not a Seattle thing at all. Or or (laughs) a DC thing. Yeah, Yeah, for sure not. This is for sure Texas. He had the white starch shirt, right? So if any of you are from Texas, you know what I'm talking about. And he was there, and he was 73, and this little twinkle in his eye, and he seemed like a really safe person, honestly, to talk to. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, I said, you know, you're here. What do you do in real estate? And he said, well, I guess I'm kind of in real estate. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he goes, well, I don't know. I'm, um, I own rental properties. And my experience with real estate had been living in New York with a landlord literally named Guido. Oh. And... <laughs> And he, I it's mean, amazing. he matched the name. He was horrible. The gold chain. And so, oh, the yeah. gold chain, kind of the receding hairline, the shirt a little too open. It's like amazing. inappropriate. And you're like, Guido, I don't need to see that. Um, more, more stories later yeah. on Guido. That, that's if you come to the, yeah, right. to the Empire Builders Happy Hour. We'll yeah, there you that. go. And, um... You know, so I thought, gosh, that sounds terrible. I feel so bad for you. Why are you? Why do you own rental properties? And he goes, well, I don't know. I guess it's not that bad. I own about 100 rental properties, and they all cash flow about $1,000 a month. Wow. And I, my jaw must have been so far on the floor that I, like, had to pick it up and put it back together. Because at 21, you know, I was not a math major, but I can do that. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, you're making $1.2 million. Yeah. yeah. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. And you're making $1.2 million a year on rental properties? And so I, I literally bought him Lone Star beers the rest of the night, and I talked to nobody else at the happy hour, and he literally changed the, my entire course. Wow. And so probably the Lone Star beers were about three bucks a piece. Yes, this was probably a twenty-one dollar investment. Yeah, well said, Wendy. It, yeah, and so literally. Um, I immediately set to task. I told Nick, I said, I don't know how we're going to do real estate, but I know we're going to tell property. Nick is my husband. Great. 
And he's also my high school sweetheart. We've known each other, not high school, college sweetheart. We've known each other though since we were 15. Nice. Wow. And um, he, we started planning that when we got married, instead of keeping presents, we registered anywhere that you could return your presents for cash. Oh, that's <laughs> and brilliant. And we did. And I had a, I mean, you can, you can imagine, I had a spreadsheet, Hopefully you know. Hopefully many of us are listening right now. <laughs> no, if you can though, this is a very smart investment in our marriage because okay. that property we bought, so we returned everything for cash. And I had a spreadsheet, right? I wrote all the thank you notes. I kept my spreadsheet of everything they brought. And then we brought like car loads of crap back to the store. Nice. And that's we amazing. bought our first rental property. So we put 5% down. Okay. We bought the house for $155,000. We now owe $50,000 on the property and it's worth three twenty-five. dollars Wow. And wow. the same tenants wow. the whole time. Wow. Wow. No turnover. Amazing. They just signed another two-year lease. So that really gave me a taste. I mean, those Lone Star beers immediately translated into our first investment property less than a year later. And um, That's another episode. How to turn Lone Star beer into rental property. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of lessons in what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it for me, I think one thing that I do really well is listen to somebody else's experience and learn from that and directly apply that into Mm -hmm. a growth opportunity for me. And that's something that I really appreciate about what we've done with building our tribe and building this group of empire builders is because there's so many lessons I can take from you whether it's a success or a failure, and I immediately apply that into my life. And I think that's really important. Well, yeah, and you you are the the sum of the five people you spend the most time you with. You are. You are the people that you that you surround yourself with. You and, are. And your networks and that's your right. tribes. It's, it's super important. Okay, Seychelles, so fast forward, mm-hmm. uh, I guess about 20 years. Well, yeah. 12 years. Yeah, when, when did you buy that first rental property? We bought that rental property 13 years ago. Okay, 13 yeah. years ago. So fast forward 13 years. Tell us about your empire now. Yeah, so... I think the lesson I took away from the rental property game was that things can be synergistic. Okay. Um, you can you can build on top of pieces. And so we own eight rental properties. We have an insurance business. We have a real estate business that uh, did two and a half million in revenue last year. We have um, investments in other companies. We have a rental property company that we've bought or built up and then sold off. Um, uh, you know, we've built up a high-end meat curing company yeah. before. I mean, we're very entrepreneurial, yes. but I think what we really I think mean, of the four of us actually, you're the you're the truest entrepreneur. Yeah. Yes. yeah. You've yeah. built more businesses. Probably yeah. Well, I'm not afraid of that. Combined. I'm yeah. not afraid of that. And, you know, the biggest the biggest lesson I have learned is there's three key components that have to be present for it to work. Mm-hmm. And probably by failing through a few of those pretty hard, I learned those lessons because I sacrificed one of them and didn't stay true to our core tenants. But yeah, I mean, we've built up a CRM company to 10,000 right. users. I mean, like the list can go on and on. But, you know, I think the biggest piece that I've learned is you have to have three components. You have to have the right people. You have to have the right opportunity. And most importantly, it has to be the right time in the market. Mm. And I have found that when I sacrificed one of those three, it failed every single time. Mm. I love that. Huge takeaway. So you have to have the right people, the right opportunity, and And the the right timing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. And And you know what's not in there? Capital. Mm-mm. You figured it out. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating to me. I was waiting for you to say capital and you didn't say it. You can find money. I think you can find money. Yeah, that's a good lesson. Right? Yeah. But if you don't have the right team or the right partner, you don't have the right opportunity and you don't have the right timing in the market, the money makes no difference. I yeah. mean, and we've had a couple of businesses that we invested in, right? And we got into it and realized, you know what, it's the wrong CEO. Yeah. Well, I think I, I'm hearing some future podcast episodes, especially around the people yes. and how to navigate the right opportunity. And the timing is sometimes a little bit of luck. 
Yes. Uh, but those first two, I think we should yeah. definitely do a deep, deep mm-hmm. dive. So guys, what are, you, what are your takeaways from this? Yeah, one of the things that really jumped out at me, Seychelle, and maybe it's because I know you so well, mm-hmm. and it, you're curious. You're a genuinely yeah. curious person. And, and, you know, you being at a bar saying, I'm going to get curious about someone changed your life. Mm-hmm. I read a book by Brian Grazer called Curiosity. And he, he really got to be this world-famous Hollywood actor based on curiosity conversations. Mm. And that's what immediately came to mind when I was hearing your story. Thank you for that. Yeah, this was truly awesome. And one of the things that you said in the very beginning that just really resonated with me and why it resonated is because you haven't strayed from it. Your choice, uh, whether to work to live or live to work. Right. And I think uh, living to work is sort of the American way. Yes, it is. Right. I'm against, I feel against the brain at times. Yes. Yeah. And just seeing, seeing your progress in that and seeing just your commitment to keeping that from, I mean, what, 12 years since we've known each other has been remarkable. And, you know, in sort of closing with this uh, amazing Seychelles story, one of the things that hasn't come up yet is your leadership, right? And to build an amazing empire, I've I've learned that you've got to continue to work on yourself and being a strong leader and you know, watching you as a leader is just so personally inspirational to me. And one of the things that, you know, you don't just talk the talk, you know, you really truly walk it with your people. And every single day you get up and yes, you're, you started by doing it for your family and now you're doing it for your work family every single day. I yep. Fear, I fiercely love and want to see my work family be happier, healthier, and wealthier. Yep. yep. And it shows. And so I admire you so much as a leader and just thank you for what you've done to our tribe and your leadership. And it's been fun to watch. Well, thanks for doing a deep dive with us today, Seychelle. Well, thanks and for having me. Of course. Yeah, well, you're here all the time. You're on the podcast. You'd like it really now, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, so now we're going to do a little pivot, literally do a pivot. Like a physical I'm pivot. Trying, I'm pivoting. Yeah, so those of you who can't see, I'm pivoting here on the set. And uh, now, yeah, now we're going to chat with with me and Wendy. Yeah, I, um, I'm really excited about this. I, I have interviewed you before. Yes, you have. And, and I know you really well. And so, um, you know, that's always fun when you get to interview someone that you're Absolutely. really close with. And you're fantastic at interviewing. Well, thank you. I, I, I'd like to start, Wendy, with, with something a little different with you. We all know you have a phenomenal business. You have a really big business and, and, and it's a public Uh, I would almost say famous business. (laughs) And so we know that. I want to go back a little bit. What has been fascinating for me about you is how early in your life and in your journey you started the pursuit of a high net worth. Mm. I look back in my 20s and I, I barely knew what that term meant. So I'd like you to start us with, you know, the moment that you and Jay, your husband, are making $85,000 combined. Yeah. You're working for the state of Texas and you make a decision to become millionaires. Yeah. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, it was really, it was really the the spark of a who. You know, it's 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 interesting the parallel between Mm. uh, my story and Seychelles in that, you know, it's really being open and receptive to what the universe is is throwing at you. Mm -hmm. And it's who are you surrounding yourself with? And so my husband started at Keller Williams and um there, they required everyone to take a to take a, a, a class on how to read a profit and loss statement, and so the whole company was supposed to turn out. And the the then president at the time, Mo Anderson, whose you know nickname was the Velvet Hammer, 
a, a wonderful empire builder. Mo um, Anderson is a really the an original, icon. Yeah, yes. the original yes. empire builder. Yeah, the the first the first the first uh, empire builder that I met that I felt uh, very drawn to, and she has personally impacted me a lot over the years. And it really starts with the story. And so everyone in the company was supposed to come out and take a class on how to read, read a P and L. And as luck would have it, the only one that showed up was my husband Jay. Unbelievable. Which is amazing to think about. Here it is an icon in the real estate industry teaching a class. And probably because it was about numbers, everybody else was like, oh, I'm busy. I got a meeting, whatever. And uh, what I also love about the story is, is that she could have chosen to um, re- reschedule the class. Yeah. And she did not do it. Yeah. Which is why when I teach, I never worry about who's in the audience because whoever is there is who needs to be there at that moment. Really well said. The message. Really well said. And so she sat down with him and it turned from a class into a one-on-one coaching session on how to read a balance sheet, how to, how to tackle your profit and loss statement, and then into a conversation about tracking your net worth and how important that was. And so, of course, Jay came home and had this conversation with me and, and said, listen, we need to start doing this. We need to start tracking your net worth. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that don't know what that means, essentially net worth is um, all of your assets. So everything you own minus all of your liabilities, which is everything you owe, right? So everything you own, all your stuff, your businesses, your, your cash in hand, minus all your debt. And he came home and he said, when do we need to figure this out? And so we sat down and we had just moved to Austin, Texas from New York City. Mm-hmm. We were both around 30 years old. I worked for the state of Texas. I was making about $42,000 a year. And Jay was making about the same. And, um, and we figured out that our net worth was about $2,200. Okay. Which is actually great in a way because most people in this country are actually negative. They're, yeah. they're in debt. And so that was great. But for the two of us, we thought, gosh, here we are. We've been working for at least 22 years collectively. And all we have to show for it is $2,200. Had you owned a house at that point? No, we didn't own a house. We'd been living in New York City. And so we moved to Austin and we were 30, right? And I I thought, wow, we have $100 a year to show for literally 40 hours. 50, 60, 80 hours of work a week. Yeah. It's disheartening. Do you know what the average net worth of a renter is? Yeah, it's about 5000 You know the average? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's depressing. Yeah. It's really depressing. It's mostly, and it's mostly because people do have assets, but they also have crushing debt. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was a big wake-up call for us. Uh, we immediately bought our first home, which eventually three years later became our first rental property. And at that time, we set a huge goal for ourselves, which was we wanted to become net worth millionaires uh, in 10 years. Yeah. yeah. We actually set three goals. We wanted to become net worth millionaires. We wanted to be having $75,000 in passive income. And we wanted to um, have 10 rental properties. Where'd you come up with those numbers? It was kind of random, to yeah. be honest with you. I think sometimes when, you, when you're trying to think bigger, Right, because for me, trust me, you know, I grew up in a small farming community in northern Minnesota. My whole extended family is is farmers. We never talked about any of this growing yeah. up. I was a journalism major, none of it. And uh, and so for us, it was a little bit random. You know? Well, so how did you feel? A lot of a lot of us have that experience where our spouses come home mm-hmm. with a great idea, 
And, and you know, we don't always buy in or vice yeah. versa. How did you feel yeah. when Jay came home and said that? What got you to buy into that? Yeah. Well, a big part of me was like, this is nuts. This is really crazy. I don't ever see this happening. There's no way we're going to get there. And I actually had a lot of residual feelings about money from growing up lower middle class, mm-hmm. which was money is bad. Money yeah. is evil. Rich people are somehow, You have to cheat to get it. Some Rich people are somehow uh, horrible people. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, so I think I, I just was really skeptical. And yet at the same time, uh, my husband was working for a company where his... Uh, a kind of this abundance mentality that permeates um, Keller Williams was really starting to 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 filter through his brain, mm-hmm. and it was rubbing off a little for me at home, but not really. Yeah, yeah I think it was more me more like, okay, sure, let's do it. Yeah, why not? Yeah, you know. So, so you make the goal. What was your very first decision? What was the first step? The very first decision was we said, you know what, we need to buy a house. Okay, we need to stop. We need to stop throwing our money away on rent. And um, we bought a little house in um, South Austin. Mm-hmm. Then it was South Austin. Now it's actually Central Austin because the city's grown so much. And, and how long ago was that? Yeah, it was about it was twenty years ago. Actually, everybody, years ago. everybody listening wishes they bought a house in Austin yeah. twenty years ago. Yes. By the way, seriously. <laughs> we bought a bunch. And so yeah, it was that first house. It was just a little kind of a crappy stucco house, honestly, a little two bedroom, one bath. You know, we were always like trying to maneuver around each other in the morning in the bathroom, and we thought we paid too much for it. It wasn't a bargain, um, and yet we weren't paying rent anymore. So that was really our first step. And then it really wasn't until three years later when we really started to get into real estate investing. And you kept that house and bought another. Yeah. So our first investment was uh, actually Jay uh, wrote the Millionaire Real Estate Investor or was in the process of writing that with, um, with Gary Keller and Dave Jenks. And so we really thought, gosh, we aren't millionaire real estate investors. In fact, we haven't done any investing and so we needed to be legitimate. So we uh, flipped a house with a couple other partners on the east side of Austin. And it was wildly unsuccessful. Um, we put in, I don't even know how many hours of sweat equity. And I think each partner ended up netting about 500 bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not good. Yeah. And what's interesting yeah. is I have a lot of people that talk about house flipping. That's actually not going to increase your net worth. It's it's an income-producing activity. It's active income. It's not passive. It's just income. Yeah. And you know, one thing that um, I'm excited for with us doing Empire Builders is that um, you're not afraid to unpack the um, P&L and uh, um, the numbers Mm -hmm. behind it. I I think it is so taboo that people don't talk about well, they, they may talk about it as like an airy-fairy out there mm-hmm. topic, but something that we're going to be covering a lot is wealth as a tangible, attainable mm-hmm. goal. Yeah. And I think that's a passion of yours and something I really appreciate yeah. that you brought to the table is that's that's a topic of conversation that actually we aren't allowed to skip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I love, I love that you do that. Well, yeah, and I love that. I think about your journey in 13 years. It's unbelievable. It yeah, is. It's it really phenomenal. is. It is, but you, you know what? We didn't treat the real estate like... I need to make money in three years. Exactly. We didn't treat it like it's our yeah. personal home that we're well, going to then buy and sell and yeah. keep profit on. This is something we're going to buy and keep it forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wealth right. building is a get rich slow scheme. It is. Well, that's yes. right. And, and you entered into this, both of you, really young and with the mindset that you were going to focus on your net worth. And that's that was the foundational thought and mindset that got you here. Yeah. So, Wendy, you had a 10-year goal. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to hit it? 
So we became net worth millionaires after about six years. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, which, it's is, amazing. which is kind of hard to believe. Yeah. And then now we are, I guess we're, you know, 20 years into that journey and we're really seeing the hockey stuck yeah. happen yeah. right now, all of the groundwork that we've laid. But, you know, the reality is, Via, is that we felt really poor yeah. For a long time. I even remember though, talking to you. Even though our net worth was increasing, even when we became net worth millionaires, we felt poor because we put all of our money back into, into acquiring more assets. And I remember getting to know you, Wendy. You know, you would pick me up and I can't remember what your car was. It was a Jetta? Was <laughs> yeah, it a Jetta? Jetta? It was in the Jetta. Yeah, I had a Jetta for nine years. And, and, you know, a lot of our colleagues in real estate were not driving Jettas. Yeah. They were driving Mercedes and, and mm-hmm. Teslas. And, yeah. and you, you know, you always maintain that. You lived in your house for how long until you remodeled it? Yeah. A long oh, time. Gosh, forever. Yeah. yeah. And it was... Carpet in the bathroom, you know, I, I, I painted it room by room. Um, it's, it's, it's not ideal the way we did it. And yet, um, always the focus was on um, what, can we, what can we put away for today to create opportunity yeah. for tomorrow. And the reality is, yeah, I don't want to say we're in a place where we can buy and do whatever we want to, but, but that is kind of the reality of it, yeah. is, is there's very, li- very few limitations on on our choices. Well, what, what is wealth? Wealth is doing what you want with who you want, when you want, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's all we're all trying to achieve, right? Absolutely. And more importantly, impacting your community and giving back, which I'd love to kind of touch on sure. because I think your, your wealth journey is one thing. What, what's, what's amazing is how you've turned that into almost a calling mm. to teach others about it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing with your- Yeah, club? and I would just say, just real quick, uh, my definition of wealthy is- do you have enough passive income to fund your perfect life? Oh, that's great. that's great. I would just ask yourself that question. Do you have enough passive income to fund your perfect mm-hmm. life? That's fantastic. And it's not for me to judge who your perfect life is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. And are you are you working towards that on a daily basis? Yeah, yeah. really, really great yeah. definition. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, what are you doing right now with um, other emerging millionaires, other people who might have this goal? Yes. Well, so I'm very passionate about helping people build wealth through real estate because I just, you know, like I've been saying, we are the sum of the five people yeah. we spend the most time with, and I'm very. I feel like we got a gift yeah. from the beginning. We got a, a someone who lit the spark inside of us, and so we're doing something. We call it our Hot Millionaire Club. <laughs> Such a great name. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we do it, we actually do it on our, uh, it's, a, it's an amalgam of our folks on our real estate team. And then my husband owns is, he's a lot like you, Via. He's an entrepreneur. Yeah. He's built several businesses inside uh, the world of Keller Williams. And, uh, and so people from his world and his businesses come and we talk about wealth building. Yeah. We do it once a month. Yeah. And it's a potluck at our house and everyone tracks their net worth. And they share it, right? And they share it. It's like it's undressing public. in the doctor's office. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Showing your, your I mean, that's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, it's very public. And uh, it's been great for us because, you know, at every stage in your life, you still need accountability around your goals. So everyone sets a goal around what they want their net worth to be and then how they're going to get there by, you know, either starting businesses or purchasing assets or whatever that looks like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I would say, and I didn't mention this before, and um, is that, the number one thing that we did, the number one habit was really tracking our net worth. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, 
What's interesting and really inspiring for me, and and not only you guys, but all of uh, all of the people in our world, in our empire building world, is that you guys really got this young and focused on it, and I did not. I did not. I I uh, I'm in the beginning of this journey, and I hope that our listeners and our viewers can can um, go along this with me if you are too, right? I really don't want everybody to think that they have to have hit a million already or or even more than that. I haven't. So let's do this together, right? We're going to all kind of do this together a little bit. Uh, and so I would really say that this is the big life yeah. aspect yeah. to this podcast. It's one thing to build a big uh, real, real yep. estate or really any other business to build an empire, but not to have that that really that big life component, which you really need those those assets yeah. to kind of round all that out. And I don't know if you guys listened to the last podcast, but really Sarah mentioned that, which is she built a massive, massive empire with one silo. Yeah. Right. And then realized that um, she really needed some, some, you know, wealth building uh, assets to go along with it, some rental properties. And, you know, as you were speaking, one of the things that is sort of in common with what I said last episode, Wendy, is that I had sort of the hockey stick. And for those that don't know, the hockey stick, Gary Keller talks about that. It's typically... Wealth building, empire building um, is a lot of decisions that don't, that really have incremental gains, like small gains over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden it all takes off. And when you were saying, you know, get rich, slow, slow scheme, right, of wealth building, I mean, empire buildings like that too, guys. I mean, we have, there are some businesses that you see that really like take off from the get-go, but very few. Very few. I mean, most of us built our empires slow, right? Ten, ten years is a really magic number. Yes. And I and I tell myself that a lot. And and yes. I just want to really encourage those listening that um we can we can completely do this in a decade. It's really, really doable in a decade. And I think that is it's not only important, it's become my mantra. Otherwise it can get a little discouraging, you know, especially if you're not 20. I am no longer 20. And so you can do a lot, you know, in 10 years. And Sarah, you know, I mean, all of you, what you have in common is you you were surrounded by that, that top five people. You had enough people in your lives giving you this counsel that, hey guys, it's not about revenue and income. It's about taking that and buying assets. Yes. I had a great, I'm really good at making income and revenue. And I never had the the people in my life to, to say, hey, turn this into assets, right? And yeah, so I didn't. That's right, Bia. I had some great yeah. trips. I've lived in some really great houses, but you know, as a result, I don't have the net worth that you guys do. So it's an exciting journey. I'm excited about that. And I think one thing that I take away from Wendy and I see married in you, Bia, is I think you have to understand what your relationship is with money first, yeah. right? Yeah, and that's so. something that I think you're discussing beautifully, right? Is I had a great income, but I wasn't, I was, I didn't have a relationship with wealth. And I think to Wendy's upbringing, right? I, I grew up having this feeling of money is bad. Right, and we shouldn't have it, right? And when then when you looked at your net worth, it it felt like that, right? That was a reflection of how you right. felt about money. And I sure. think becoming yeah. aware of that, and then looking for mentors in your life that maybe have a different relationship with money that you can mirror mm-hmm. and model, right, to help move you forward. I think is where that journey begins. Absolutely. And I think that's really when we look at our influence on each other. That's where the big shift happened. Was the mindset around money that then allowed you to be more open to make different decisions to move the needle? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, Wendy, in closing, you know, just to wrap up, I would love you to share with our listeners, what is the one thing you want them to hear 
today from your story? I Well, I would just go back to that one habit. You know, we really are the sum of the choices that we make every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and habits can be uh, good or they can be bad. Mm-hmm. But they'll still inform who we are. You know, if I have a habit of smoking a pack of cigarettes and drinking a fifth of whiskey every yeah. morning, um, that's going to inform who I'm going to be in the yeah. future. Yeah, that's right. And so that habit, I mean, there's several habits around it, but really the habit of tracking your net worth yep. mm-hmm. and really spending less than you make mm-hmm. and really saving the rest to put towards assets. That's yeah. really, it, it seems simple. It's not, it's not easy, right? But it is actually quite simple. And then yeah. taking action and 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 moving forward with buying investment properties or building businesses or whatever that looks like. Oh, I love that. And you know, if if the average person listening lives on eighty percent of their income and saves and invests the other twenty percent, that's all this takes. Yep. That's how that's how the Papasan started, and 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 I'm sure that's how you started. That's oh, how we, we all started. Very little. I yeah. started tracking my net worth last year, and um, you know, I was really proud that it went up one hundred thirty thousand. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a lot. It's not a lot, but but it, no, it, it felt a like a lot. It year, felt like so much to me. Yeah, it is a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> you know, Seychelle and Wendy, you both have been uh, remarkable leaders in this wealth building journey for me. And this was an amazing episode diving into both of your journeys of wealth. And they're a little different, but also had some similarities. So this was great for me to hear it again. And you've all, both of you have led a lot of Keller Williams, have led a lot of our tribe in wealth building. And I appreciate you both. Oh, I do too. And I just want to thank everybody for tuning into the Empire Builder podcast. We're here to talk about building big businesses and having even bigger lives. So tune in, subscribe, and we will hopefully talk to you soon.